Good evening. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. See how far we get. Philippians chapter 3. Let's read the first few verses. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God. Who glory in Christ Jesus. And who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, although Paul says finally, he's only halfway through. It actually means literally or as for the rest of what I have to say. And really what he's doing now is he, he's going to deal with a growing concern and a critical problem that threatens the unity of the church. And he wants to focus these things. It's interesting that before he starts to address these powerful things, he starts with rejoice in the Lord. And the whole book so far has been this attitude of Christ about allowing this attitude of Christ to, to be a part of our lives. And, and last week we looked at the examples of Christ and, and giving of ourselves that Paul left in Jesus, of course, himself, in Paul, in Timothy, and in Epaphroditus, and these four examples of what it was to be selfless and how important it is. And, and there's a little transition that takes place here, but... Before he gets to dealing with the problems, he talks about rejoicing in the Lord and that it's no trouble for him to write the same things to them again. Now, this means that he's written to them something probably before, not just in this book, but maybe another epistle or something that he's written to them that we, we don't have. We're not really sure what it is, but the important thing is that what he is about to say, he has said before. And it's not a trouble. In fact, it's a good thing. It's something that is a safeguard to them. And repetition is so important. It is the curse of man that we forget. We are sieves. Our brains just leak. We do not retain things. We forget even though we know. And it is so important that we... Remember that, so I'm reminding you again that you don't forget. The important things of Scripture. How many things do we forget? You know, Karine and I have talked before about people who are going through issues, and, you know, there's one friend of ours who, you know, one time recently talked to us, and she texted us and, and said, you know, what was shared that they um, really touched her and it had to do with just not being religious and that they required, you know, you have to have things right before God before you can come to God in prayer. This attitude of, you know, when you get your ducks in a row, then God will listen to you. And she so needed to hear God now, but she was not in a position to hear God now. And it's like, I know she knows that. She's heard the story of grace and mercy before, but she's forgotten. So she needed to hear it again. And what I shared with her wasn't the first time she's heard it, but it's almost like it was. You know what I mean? It's almost like that refreshing grace 
came upon her and was able to shower her with God's mercy once again. And it's not a trouble to share that. In fact, it's a safeguard for her. And it's not a trouble to hear the scriptures over and over again. That's why we gather regularly. That's why we're told in Hebrews not to neglect gathering together as the manner of some is. That we need this constant reminder. That's why we need to read. That's why we need to fill our lives continually just with things that are going to be helpful. Things that are going to keep our hearts and guard our hearts from sin. You know, the psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it is the reminder of that that keeps us from falling. It is the reminder of these things over and over and over again. Precept upon precept. Teaching constantly over and over again. And so Paul tells them this is important. And what's important? You think, oh, this is going to be beautiful. But he says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For we who are the circumcision, we who worship, they are those who are the circumcision. We are who are circumcision by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus. And so he tells them to watch out, and he means have an eye on them. Keep your eye on these people. What people are, are he, is he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish converts who have come to Christianity and want to take Christianity back into Judaism with the rules, the regulations, the laws, the keeping of the laws. They're called Judaizers. That's the name that's been given to them. And so he's calling them dogs, which is you know, a, a derogatory term. It's a term that they use towards the Gentiles. You know, it's not you know, Fifi, the little poodle that you carry with you. The dogs were basically scavengers. They were, you know, the ones you say, hey, get out of here, because they were constantly trying to scavenge for food. And so you would be, you know, there's an alarm. Val, you want to shut that door? Thanks. The joys of being near a parking lot. Um, it, it was, you know, those who were a pest and those who were problematic. And so when he's saying those dogs, he's talking about nuisances. He's talking about problems, those who are causing problems, and he's saying you've got to watch out for them. And it says, of them, they do evil. Now, how do they do evil? These people who are wanting to bring the Christian faith back under to this religion of rules and regulations, well, the evil is that they are taking them from a place of God's mercy to a place of their works. And he calls them the circumcision, the, the mutilators of the flesh. That, that's not, or not circumcision, I'm sorry. He's talking about them as being the concision. That's the word that is used. They're the concision. In other words, they are just the, the cutting of flesh, but we are the true circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus who put no confidence in the flesh. The evil is putting confidence in your flesh for salvation and not in Christ himself. Now that sounds so easy and sounds like, why would you ever put confidence in yourself when you can put it in Christ? But we can do that so easily. We do it almost naturally because we like to earn 
things. We have a very work mentality where I would need to earn this, I need to pay for this, I need to make sure that I'm worthy of this, and so I want to earn it myself. But Paul is saying, you, you can't. You, you can't go backwards. We don't consider circumcision as anything more than a sign and a remembrance of the covenant that God made. That's what it's supposed to represent. And even in the Old Testament, the prophets talk about circumcise your heart. And so we know that it was supposed to be a spiritual issue, that it was just a symbol to prove to us what is going to take place within us. And so they're concerned about the rituals. God is concerned about the character. They're concerned, well, if you do this, 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 and this, then you are religious. You have God's blessing on your life. Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. And, and you know, we, we need to recognize that there was, it was C.S. Lewis who was at a, a meeting of religious leaders of various denominations and of various types of religion. And here is this great mind, and they ask him, being a Christian, you are a Christian. What sets Christianity apart from all these other religions that are represented here? And, you know, my mind thinks if I were to have been asked that question, I would think, well, the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, but there is a lot of mythology that talks about those kinds of things, Odin and, and different things. And he didn't say that. What he said is the grace of God. It is the grace of God in Christ that is different than anything else in any other religion anywhere in the world. It is that God has given us mercy, that God has demonstrated love, that God has given us his grace that we don't deserve when we didn't deserve it. That sets us apart from everyone else, God's grace. And he says in verse 4, though I myself have reason for such confidence. In other words, they're saying, well, we need to go back to these rules and regulations. So Paul says, even though I have every you know, trophy in my case that could support going back, and he lists what they are, if anyone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, where the first king came from, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he spoke their language in regards to the law a Pharisee, those who taught the law. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, now I love that he says legalistic righteousness because he's talking about a righteousness that you get from observance of their rules and their laws, their regulations. He says faultless. This is who I was. I was the top of my class. I was the, who are those people who wear the, you know, in the graduation ceremonies, baccalaureates, yeah, you know, and you see some and they have yellow ribbons and some have, you know, yellow and green and red ribbons, you know, and it's like, oh, they're really decorated, you know, these, they've graduated with honors. Paul is listing his honors here. I did everything that was required according to their standards. In other words, everything that they are wanting you to go back to, I excelled in it. I was the top of my class in it. I achieved the highest standard in that regard. 
that's who I was. And what does he say? After he just kind of gives this idea of all that he has done and all that he achieved, he goes on and he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that I had worked so hard my entire life for, everything that I had as a plus in my life, all the things that were to my favor, the things that gave me status in the people's eyes, the things that promoted me, that gave me that recognition. People would see me and say, there is Paul the Pharisee. He is a righteous man. He observes the law. He is zealous for God. He is top of his class. Everything that he could profit from, he says, I'll give it away. Everything that was put into my bank account by this means of receiving the honors through this regulation, I take it out of my bank and consider it a loss. Why? For the sake of and so now we get the focus, the, the, the subject here is Jesus. And he goes on and he says, what is more? In other words, this is what I've done, but even more than that, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake? I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, one thing that was interesting in this passage, I mean, he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And I thought, the surpa I can't even say that. Surpa surpa surpassing. I have a cut on my lip. Surpassing. It's going to make me talk funny. Surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That word knowing. I thought, what is this word knowing? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And you expect it to be this lofty experiential word, but it's not. The word is gnosis. It has to do with just head knowledge. Learning, kind of book smart. Just having this understanding of Christ. And I thought about that and it's like, you know, wow, that's kind of let me down. I was expecting it to, you know, be something more. I wanted, you know, but really, it is more. See, because all the things that I had that were a benefit to me, I give them up, count them as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just this understanding about Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just knowing who he is, the understanding of the reality of who Jesus is, is worth more than everything that was beneficial to me. In fact, he says, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish. And rubbish is a nice word. 
King James is more accurate in calling it dung. It's basically refuse. It's things that you would not touch again. That's the meaning. And so you look at this and you say, here is a man who has lived his entire life pursuing God, studying, disciplining his life to be accepted by God. Being so religious, so recognized, excelling in all these areas. And what is it like to give your life devoted for something and to realize that you cannot achieve it? And then the understanding that Christ Jesus, what I was looking for, he is freely giving it to me. What I had struggled so hard and could never achieve, I found out that God was actually pursuing me. I was pursuing God. I was pursuing God. I was trying to please God, doing everything I could to reach him, to achieve this righteousness. And I couldn't. And then I found out that God was actually, by love, pursuing me to give me his righteousness. And just knowing that, said, I consider everything else just crap. That's what Paul said. I'm not just talking that way. It's not worth anything. And what a contrast. What a contrast this is. The idea that Jesus and his grace is extended for us. Nothing else is worth comparing if you could gain Christ. In verse 9 it says, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. It sounds like something out of Romans. You know, it's amazing. If you talk to some people, even some people who come to your door, you know, there, there are people, young men, who will come to your door and they'll, they'll knock on your door and they're neat and clean and they have white shirts on and, and they arrive not by automobile, you know, and they knock on your door and you talk to them and, and they want to tell you about God and the truth of God. And if you were to ask them, if you were to ask them, can you know that you are right before God and will be in heaven? Can you know that? Can you be assured that you're going to be to heaven? They will tell you, well, no, I, I can't. You, you can't know that. If you ask a Muslim who's devout, who prays faithfully, who keeps their religion religiously, can you know that Allah is going to receive you and accept you into heaven. They'll say, no, I, I, I can't know that. And as good as these people are and how nice and clean and neat these young men are, you know, and you appreciate so much, you know, the good things about them that they're saving on fossil fuel, you know, I mean, all the things that are a benefit to them. If you ask them, they say they can't know. And if you were to say, I can know. You see, the reason I can know is because 
Your righteousness is about you. My righteousness is about him. You can never know if you've done enough, but I can know that he has done enough. And it is finished. And all that righteousness that you're working to try and to keep and, and earn and manifest and build into your account, it's not worth touching again compared to the righteousness that I have in Jesus. And this amazing grace that has been given to us, that takes hold of us, is God's love for us. And, you know, I read these things, and one of the things I just battle is like, well, it can't be just about grace, because we have to earn it. And James talks about works, and how could God just tell us that it's all about this grace, and you don't have to keep the law, and you don't have to do these things. And I have come to realize in such a real and important way that your efforts, your works will not keep you, cannot hold you, cannot bring security to you. It is only the relationship and love you have with God that will ever move you towards him continually. It is what will make you different. It is what will change you from the inside out. It is what molds you to be like him. All the other things just make you religious and make you more of who you are. Just a better, cleaner, more fancy version of you. And that will never be enough. But if you receive this love and if you consider your own things nothing and just want this love to be found in him then it can change your life and God has banked everything on this love crazy you couldn't do that anywhere else what if you did that with your kids no rules whatever you want you don't have to get dressed you just want Ice cream, no dinner, that's fine. It would be anarchy. It would be chaos. It would be destruction. There would be holes in the walls. The, the roof would be on fire. There would, there would just be devastation. And so we think, you can't live that way. You can't do that. And God says, no, that is how I am going to establish this religion, this, this faith in me. That is how I am going to build my church because he knows that if it's not love that takes your heart, it can never be enough. It will never hold you. I've been sharing this a lot lately. You can know the right thing, but if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong decisions. And I see it over and over again in people's lives. I know it's right, but man, I really love this. And what do they do? They go for what they love. And so Jesus says, I am going to love you with a love that has no reciprocity, unconditional. And I hope that it will win you and that you will see that I love you like no one else and that there is nothing compared to my love. The psalmist said, your love, O oh God, is better than life. Wow. Love of God is better than being alive. 
And if we could understand, embrace that, that is what will keep us. He, he goes on and he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. And again, it's this idea of I want to capture all that he is, have an understanding of him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know him. In other words, my task now isn't to achieve these standards. My task now is all about Jesus. My focus is on him. He is the author. He is the perfecter of my faith. He is the one who I pursue. I want to know him. And he says the power of his resurrection. Now, when I think of power, I go atomic, okay? I, I go to, you know, I want the kind of power that, you know, calls fire down from heaven like Elijah. I, I want to be like Moses and be able to part the sea. Let's make it oceans. You know, I want to go to Europe on dry land. You know, I want to, I want, that's what I think of power. You know, I want something that is going to, just be awesome and, and just empower. But I don't think that that's what Paul is talking about here. Contextually, what he's dealing with is who he is and the righteousness that comes. And you see, the most amazing power of God, the power of his resurrection, is that it is able to make me someone else. That I'm able to look in the mirror and say, God is changing me. That I actually want to be righteous, that I actually want his holiness to be a part of my life is not me, but is him. It is that power that I want in my life, the power that is able to change me and make me from being just Sam to being Sam the child of God, to being Sam a part of his church being Sam who is covered in his righteousness to be someone who he is working on and in and then to be able to see that power that which I could do not do myself can a leopard change his spots no people do not change they don't they just don't. And you guys know that's true, but something inside us says, oh God, I pray that that's not true for myself and for other people. And this is what makes it not true. The power of resurrection to come into our life and change us. Because without this, guess what? People don't change. They don't. How can we be changed? power of his resurrection in our lives, changing our lives. And after this power of resurrection, then we embrace the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And it's like, well, I, I, can I just have the other side? Can I just have the power of the resurrection? But the fellowship and sharing in his sufferings, it really has to do with being like Jesus. You know, there is no way you can go through life and not deal with suffering. There is no way that you can love people and not deal with suffering. There is no way that you can care and not deal with suffering. 
I don't know how many times I get phone calls and the conversation is one that just grips your heart, that breaks your heart, and that causes you to fall to your knees and cry for these people and their situations. And when you see someone come up to you and their eyes are filled with tears and you know the stories of their life and you're thinking, oh gosh, what has happened? Oh no, what's going now? And I get phone calls and I see these names on my phone and it's like, oh gosh, what is this going to be about? Because I know what's going on and the conversation starts and I'm just involved in this suffering. Why? Because I now care about what happens to their lives. I now have this desire to, to be a part of the help in their lives. And so it's part of who we become. When we enjoy the power of his resurrections, we also share in his sufferings, becoming like him, even in his death. And part of that sufferings, too, is just dealing with our own nature, our, our own sin, I should say, because he's given us a new nature. Dealing with the, the things in our lives and having to put those things to death. There's a struggle there. There's a suffering of going through trials, temptations, allowing God to work in our lives becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, trying to get to this place where who I am becoming will finally be fulfilled. Waiting for that thing, that part. Poor thing is tired. Uh, He goes on in verse 12, let's read. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We need this focus. We need this mentality. We need this understanding because we recognize that this relationship that we have with God is not stagnant. It's not, okay, Jesus loves me. He gave his love for me. I have this grace. I don't have to do anything anymore. What would happen if you took your marriage or any relationship like that? I married Kareen. I said, I do. You know, do you love me? Yeah, I said so 20-some years ago. Don't you remember? You know, that, that's good. You know, I said all the right things back then. I, I, I don't have to do anything more. I'm married. We love each other. That's all. You cannot survive that way. A relationship cannot survive that way. I have to invest myself. And this is what Paul is doing as he's saying, I haven't received the completion of what's going on. I haven't been made perfect. In Romans 8, he talks about the redemption of our bodies, that we haven't yet fully been redeemed. We, we wait for that, that there's still more work that needs to take place. And here he's saying, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And so now we get a clearer picture. Jesus has me. He's taken hold of me. But I don't yet have. He has me, but I need to press on and have more of him. And, and it's a great picture because we see that God is holding us, but now we need to move forward to take hold of him. 
to take hold of that for which Christ has already taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I haven't yet got what I want. I still don't have all of what I need. I haven't yet arrived. There's still work to be done in this relationship with Christ. I need to push on towards it. But the one thing I do, having this understanding that I, I'm taken hold of by him, that his grace, his mercy has found me, that I am right in his eyes, but I'm still moving forward. How do you keep moving forward? This is one thing we all need to do. Forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Boy, are those words to hold on to. Is that something to allow to grip your life? Because it doesn't matter what has happened or where you are, you can start from here. It's never too late to start doing what's right. It's never too late to start moving forward. But if you're holding on to what's behind you, and if you're thinking, oh, no, but you don't know what I've done. I did this, and I, I had that. You know, I, I've gone through. I've had an abortion. I've been divorced. I, I have, you know, used drugs. I have been involved with this. I, I, whatever it is that weighs on you, and you think, oh, no, all these things there. You know what? Christ has dealt with your past. You need to strain forward. He still is able to take hold of you. You just need to keep walking. You know, it's been said, it's not the person who goes down swinging that you need to worry about. It's the one who comes up swinging. You know, and that's what we need to do. I have fallen down, but I am not giving up. I am straining forward, and I ever will move forward whatever happens in my life. If it's tragedy, if it's hurt, if it's loss, if it's sin, what would I do? If I were disqualified from ministry because of sin and something happened, don't worry, I haven't. But if something were to happen, what would I do? I know a pastor where that was too much, he took his life. Why? I can't live like this. I'm not in ministry, and you see that the ministry was what he was straining for. It wasn't Jesus. I remember one of the pastors who shared at his memorial was talking with me later. He says, you know, it bothered me that everyone talked about how much he loved the ministry, how much he loved the ministry, because the problem was he loved the ministry, and when that was taken from him, he had nothing. And then he took his life. I strained forward towards Christ, the one who's taken hold of me, straining forward towards him because he is the one that we're setting our sights on, straining towards what is ahead. What's ahead? The goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm straining for what God has for me. I'm straining for Jesus himself. He is, again, the author, the finisher of my faith. And so this is something that Paul had and envisioned, and it's something that we need to take to heart because we do stumble, we do struggle, we do get held back by the things in our past. We, we allow things, and it's not just, you know, sin. It, it is oftentimes, it could be family, it, it could be uh, children, it could be uh, 
uh, careers. It could be so many things that we kind of don't want to let go of. Maybe things that we have to, to move forward away from and strain towards. And we're allowing the things that were behind us that have damaged us, that have hurt us, that we worry about. Oh my gosh, worry. You could talk for an hour about the things that we worry about that hold us down. That paralyze us because we're so worried about those things. You know, and, and not to be anxious about these things, but to trust God for them and everything in prayer and supplication to bring these things to the Lord. But here he tells us that we're going to keep our eyes on him, straining forward, press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God is the one who has called us heavenward. It is his work and in his goodness that we move forward. It is his grace that has captured our hearts. It is his love. You know, there's a scripture in... Jeremiah um, 9.23 I don't want to share it says this is what the Lord says let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You want to boast about something? Boast that God is good. That he's kind. That his justice and righteousness are what we take and pursue. That is our goal. And we need to guard our hearts against trying to be religious. It only leads to pride. You know, where we start comparing how we do things. I'm a better Christian than them because I don't smoke. I'm a better Christian than them because I go to this church. I'm a better Christian than them because I use this version of the Bible. It's a more accurate translation. I'm a man, I mean, it sounds foolish, but oh my gosh, I hear these things. You know, well, we're, we're better Christians because it's like, you know what? It's about Jesus, period. I'm a better Christian only because Jesus has taken hold of me. I'm a Christian at all because of that. And that's what I'm going to boast in. That's what I'm going to boast in is God is merciful. And I have been apprehended by a love that won't let go. And because I know what that love is, I don't want to let go. The Psalms say, guard your heart. For in them bring the wellsprings of life. What I pray that we would guard is our love for God. That nothing would take place of that love. That you would not allow another human being, another object, another goal to surpass your love for God. Because once that happens, everything falls apart. 
your priorities get skewed, you lose what is most important and what has hold of you. So keep yourselves in the love of God. It is so, so important. And may we pursue God in this way. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your love that it is unfailing. I thank you that you first loved us, and that is the reason that we love you. Father, your grace, your mercy is overwhelming. And God, I, I pray that we would recognize this grace. We would stay humble in this grace, Father. We would stay dependent on this grace, God. And that we would not settle for less, Lord that we would never try and earn your favor, but recognize that you are giving it out freely. And all you want us to do is receive it and respond. May we do that daily. May we be reminded of these things. God, how important a reminder is this? And I pray it would capture our hearts and minds, Father. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.